Welcome to RCR Podcast number 138, Car Magazines and Sparkling Water. I'm Nick. I'm doing this once again just because um, Brian has a lot on his plate right now. Uh, we wanted to keep the live streams going, but um, it's just a matter of workload and having time to be able to do these. And so, yeah, I'm just uh, very thankful to be here and hopefully we'll be able to do podcasts together again sometime soon. But for now, we're sort of like, you know, uh, sort of tagging in and out so that sometimes he'll do a solo live stream. Sometimes I'll do a solo live live stream. And uh, in that way, we're going to continue to keep the podcast going um, and hopefully get back to a point where we're both back in the studio um, for lack of a better term. Yeah, it's technically counts as a studio. Why not? Um, so yes. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think we've gotten to the point where we can actually, um, with any confidence, be able to simulcast from different locations at the same time. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where we're at right now, where we're just sort of uh, making it up as we go along. Um, Judd Kramer. Hi, Roman. Once you have the means to count steps, you'll find yourself getting more and more while barely trying. Also, would you ever consider learning how to ride a motorcycle? Um, I've considered it. It hasn't been something that I found I would be confident enough to do. I think it takes a level of confidence and certainty in your own um, capabilities to be able to do that. And I am working on developing a more positive self-image so that I do trust myself to be able to do these tough things more, which is funny because like Brian has told me in the past that like learning to ride a motorcycle really isn't something, uh, something tough, you know? Um, but ultimately, uh, it's, it's something that I don't think would work that well for me. It's just something that would be kind of a, weird struggle um i don't know balance isn't great my head is enormous so getting into a helmet would be very odd and uncomfortable it's just it's all of these these little things that are all very much in alignment to prevent me from doing it which if i wanted to do it i would but it's also a thing where like i just i've never felt compelled to do that uh for better or worse so thank you for the question though um hey matt how you doing um nathan you're very welcome thank you for enjoying the songs i i am just somebody who is messing around with music i don't really consider it something that i would ever really do something with it's just something that's fun for me which is why like i kind of stopped doing it for a while because it wasn't fun for me and it was taking up time and so to get back to that it's kind of nice to know that like i don't have to do it if the video doesn't have a song, it doesn't have a song. Like this week's video doesn't have a song. And I don't think next week's video does either. Um, but maybe the one after that, uh, it's been a while. I, like I lose track of like what videos are what and where we are in terms of the back catalog of things we've already filmed and written. So uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, I mean, I know Monday's video is me and uh, that's something that I'll explain here. Well, no reason not to explain it now. Monday's video is going to be a me video, but it's not an RCR story, but it is over a half hour long, um, which is partially, um, not partially, it's entirely about saying goodbye to Red Betty, my 2004 SN95 Mustang. 
I have not found a buyer yet. I haven't formally put it up for sale or auction or anything like that because I still haven't decided what I'm necessarily going to do um, going forward because yes, it would be nice to be able to sell it all in one shot, but I know that I'm not going, I'm, I sincerely doubt that I'm going to get any kind of a good figure for selling Betty. So I'm going to uh, possibly take it to the mechanic see if I could get her to pass inspection um, because inspection is due at the end of April. And um, if she does pass inspection, then that gives me a little more time to be able to actually um, drive uh, her. So, um, and save money for the inevitable replacement car, because I'm in a place where like, yeah, it would be great to be able to save more, but I have other more pressing issues and bills that need to be paid that I can't necessarily give over to a, a different car right now. Um, so yeah, I guess I'm figuring that out as I go along. Um, and, and over time I'm beginning to learn my capacity for stress and my ability to handle it a little bit better, but I mean, I don't want to get, uh, too far ahead of myself though, because I mean, sometimes the stress does get to me, but I mean, a lot of the time, but I'm also still here. I'm also still okay. I'm also still thankful and grateful every single day that I get to have the job that I have and that I get to do this with y'all, but I don't want to turn this into like another long-winded gratitude podcast. So, um, yeah, what am I looking to replace Red Betty with? Um, I'm keeping my mind and my options open. I will take any suggestion that people have. Um... The thing is, I just don't have a lot of money to work with. Uh, you know, on the high end, I maybe can swing three grand if I'm trying to have it happen in the next, like, two months. But, I mean, I would prefer not to just because, obviously, I'm not going to find anything for three grand that I'm not, that isn't just going to be a lateral move. Because the reason I'm getting rid of Betty is because I don't know how much longer she has left. And it's stressing me out to constantly be driving a car that stresses me way the hell out way too much. Um, like I'm worried all the time, every time I get into this car, because not because I'm afraid she's going to fail on me. Like she's mechanically sound. She runs well, but I'm terrified of another check engine light and something that I have to take care of that, you know, I can't really assure or that I can right now. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, uh, PT cruiser convertible. That's, I mean, I haven't, I haven't thought about that, but it would be kind of fitting that kind of the most RCR video that we've ever done for me personally is the PT cruiser video. Like if you ever want to introduce people to RCR, uh, show them the PT cruiser. Cause I feel like it sums us up pretty well of what we try to do. Um, but yeah, that's something to consider. And it would be kind of fitting if I had one, I suppose, um, get a $3,000 Honda Accord. I mean, yeah, if you want to, I don't see a reason I, I don't see a reason not to just because, you know, obviously a cheap beater Honda Accord will probably be more reliable than a lot of things that I could probably get. But it's just about finding something in this area or maybe not even necessarily in this area, because I know that Brian and I could probably make an adventure and a video out of going to pick up something, you know, somewhere else. Uh, let's see. Um, 
Life's short. Buy a beater eagle. Be broke down with a smile. <laughs> Save up to 4.0. Jeep swap it. Um, I would love to have an eagle, but I just can't justify it. I, I don't have the money to take care of it. I don't live in a place where I have my own garage. Uh, it's an apartment complex and I wouldn't want to street park it. It's just something that doesn't really make practical sense to me. But, you know, maybe someday in the future if I if everything changes, you know, somehow. Um, Evan P., thank you so much for $5. Uh, hey, good to see you, Nick. Well, it's good to see you too, Evan. Thank you for coming to hang out. Um, so let's look at these magazines to see what um, automotive uh, people are up to. Um, let's see. Automotive people. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these are from my girlfriend's dad, who uh, still gets these in the mail, even though he didn't request them at all. So uh, he's just sort of in a place where he's got all these car magazines and he kind of didn't know what to do with them. And so he gives them to me because I end up using them as part of like ideas for rcr stories you know that's where i got the idea for ford landia where i got the idea for like certain life and death videos um oh all right thank you matt thanks for stopping by um i'll check for your message but thank you again and hey it's matt oh um welcome to the podcast um surprise you don't look into an f-150 or something isn't it like the starting vehicle for americans um I could almost, it would be funny. I, I, huh. I, I, I almost, I, I can't really see myself in a pickup truck, but also like, I don't know why there's no real reason that I shouldn't be able to envision myself in a pickup truck. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong with it. It's just that, I mean, I have no practical reason for it because like i wouldn't really need it for my job and i wouldn't really need it for anything else i mean i guess a lot of the craft shows that i go to with my girlfriend where we're selling like you know handmade soaps and other materials that would be helpful to kind of have that as an additional transport in addition to her car but other than that it just feels like it would be kind of lost on me or like wasted on me uh so yeah um Surprise you don't, oh, wait, uh, would a CRV from the early 2000s be roomy and reliable enough? Um, I believe so. I mean, I've looked into CRVs, like more modern ones, and obviously I'm not going to find one that is, um, that is low mileage or, you know, uh, or, uh, or low I should say, I think I misspoke. I, I'm not going to find any used ones that are low mileage. Um, but again, beggars can't be choosers. I got to go with what I can get. And um, the new ones are obviously going to be outside of my price range um, because I'm not trying to finance it necessarily. Uh, so um, what car does your girlfriend drive? Um, I don't know if I can talk about that on the podcast i mean it's not like some huge secret i just feel like she probably wants me to like leave her out of all this because it's a crazy life but it is like an suv so i mean it's it's more of like a crossover i suppose but yeah whatever um 
let's see. Slight ulterior motive. I got a 2010 with 145,000 miles I'm trying to help sell. Hey, you know, um, I mean, I guess it all depends on what you want for it, but it is what it is. Uh, <laughs> looking to buy a new ride, my LS430 needs a starter and transmission. Huh. I mean, eh, hmm. that's a lot that's to go wrong. But, I mean, it's also part of the natural you know, entropy of owning a car. Uh, God, I, I need to stop talking in platitudes. That's like the most simple, basic thing that I could have possibly said. Um, but yeah, Dickie followed up with nothing crazy, just a flush on fluid and starter need to be new, but it's in a tough area. Ah, that's understandable, especially like as a Pennsylvanian, I kind of know what it's like to be in a place where you're dealing with the elements a lot, even though Pennsylvania might not necessarily seem that way. There, we do have a lot of salt on the roads. We do have a lot of potholes and a lot of like gravel and all sorts of construction happening. And then the remnants of construction remain in the road for God only knows how long. Now, granted, we've had a very mild winter so far, knock on wood, although it bodes ill tidings for the planet. But that means we haven't really had salt on the roads and we haven't really had to. Um, so it's been a little bit kinder to vehicles in this tri-state area but um yeah I, i'm just it's it's tough to own a car in, in a place where the elements don't want to cooperate with you um let's see what else other people are saying uh maybe a Toro toyota corolla dx 1996 <laughs> um a 2010 F-150 with 145,000 miles is going to be well beyond the price ceiling. Yeah, that's pretty much true. I mean, that's my ceiling for now. Like, if I, all things, like, if I had to get one before the end of April, that's probably the most I can work with. But, um, did you see Drive Repos in an article Doug DeMuro wrote about how no car is a forever car? It seemed appropriate. I didn't see that, but I'm pretty sure I read the article um, at one point. It's, um, and he's right. There is no forever car, you know, it's just something that you have for a moment. And this was a, a line from one of the commenters on a previous podcast to the effect of how, um, we're just the custodians of the cars that we have. Well, paraphrasing it's like we're not meant to have these forever we're just the caretakers for the mo the time that we have them um the one kea low mileage is unimportant high mileage on well-maintained cars is where it's at if you can get the service records or service history for a high mileage vehicle and it's cheap i would snap it up um that's a good point you know if it's made it to that high mileage you know look at matt Ferrer's million mile lexus it's like if it can last that long then obviously there's something right about it um so yeah uh 1986 falcon huh hmm i hadn't considered that um yeah that's a left field possibility um i daily drive a an 06 jeep grand cherokee and it's got some wrinkles to be ironed out but i've driven benz's bmw's vw's and being 30 plus now I ain't dealing with 80 plus dollar oil changes and $300 MAFs. Lexus done me good. Uh, I believe it. I mean, that seems like a fairly, well, 
because it's an offshoot it's toyota type thing you know it's like i would depend on toyota more than most car companies um but yeah i i just it's part of the process of figuring out what brands are the best ones in terms of giving you the most bang for your buck and i always feel like toyota takes care of people now granted I don't know. I'm looking at this through the lens of like used Toyotas. I don't know how the company does now, but in speaking with people, it seems like Toyota does better than most in terms of reliability and servicing. And so to then have Lexus perform similarly well is not that surprising to me, but I don't know that I would go with a Lexus before I would just go with a a straight up Toyota product, you know, although I guess it's all in the same general family so what does it really matter um how inexpensive are the automatic toyota celica gt cars from the 90s you guys reviewed one a while back and the video implied that automatic celicas are very much undesirable to 90s enthusiasts um hmm. i mean in my experience just because 90s enthusiasts do tend to be a little bit more fickle or not fickle that's kind of a lousy thing to mention but I just find like 90s car enthusiasts everything has to be just so and in a way that is to the exclusion of otherwise good cars you know because you can't necessarily have like okay look like a Honda Del Sol you know um you, obviously you want the real one but the real one means you have a leaky target top so if you end up in a situation where you can get a Honda Del Sol that doesn't have the leaky top, I just find that people will just kind of issue that possibility in furtherance of finding a more authentic Honda Del Sol in order to be more authentic to the period. Like that 80s, 90s-ish time period, it just seems like you're always beholden in a way to the authentic experience rather than maybe getting something that's like it and then resto modding the rest of the way. And I get it because obviously you don't want to spend more money than you've already spent in acquiring the car, but also, and this is something that I'm probably going to find out no matter what I get, which is that it's not always as simple as just getting the car and calling it a day. Um, I mean, I found that out with Betty. There were some things I had to do after I got her, but it's something that is kind of there included in the price of admission, for lack of a better term. Boris T.S. Karloff, thank you so much for $5, and thank you for being here. It's always good to see you. Um, Hunter Aman, thank you for $10. Uh, my little brother has a Del Sol. I think you'd rock one so hard. I mean, I like Del Sols. They look nice. They drive well. They are very... Um, and I wouldn't be as, as like insistent on having like the original, like with the leaky top and all that other stuff, just because like none of that really matters to me. Like, again, the bare minimum of what I need is just a car that runs that I don't have to worry about. I don't need to look cool. I don't need to go fast. I don't need a lot of power. I just don't want to worry um, now, preferably, I would like things that are maybe more in line with my aesthetic, but I know that to maybe have things that are more in line with my aesthetic is to, I don't know, it would be selfish, 
And so I'm trying not to be selfish. That's all. Um, I have no idea what the U.S. used car market looks like. Um, to be fair, not a lot of us do anyway, because it varies um, so, so much from one area to the next, because you you have a lot of you have an influx of people online who are essentially selling their cars and creating their own prices uh which obviously is not through a dealership or anything like that like a used car dealer but ultimately i think used car dealerships are kind of pricing in a way that will allow them to compete with Facebook marketplace people, um, but not so much that it actually remains affordable. So for instance, like if someone is selling like a Corolla on Facebook marketplace, they're going to wildly overvalue probably what it is that they have relative to how much money they put into it. And so a used car dealer is going to look at that price and think that's what the market will sustain. And suddenly you have these Corollas that are used, like that are 10 years old, that are wildly overpriced. And maybe aren't in the best shape anyway and don't take that into accounting with the price of course this is just all anecdotal but i i just that's kind of what i've been seeing online and that's why i don't even know necessarily that shopping in person is any better you know but any car would be in your aesthetic if you own it hard enough that's a great point you know um and I look at it with Brian, like if you look at all the cars that Brian has owned over the years from the Forester to the POW to the Echo, the Fit, the Forerunner, um, the MR2, the Niro, all of those cars feel authentically Brian because he rocks it hard with the ownership. Um, but for me, I just had the Mustang and the Kia Rio, and those are the only cars that I've ever owned. And I don't know that I ever really got there with the Rio to where it felt like mine, but I do miss it in a way, you know, because I did really enjoy that car before the clutch burned out. Um, normally a Honda or Toyota would be the most sensible. However, you have the luxury of being a YouTuber. You can get away with an unreasonable, absurd car because you can make contact uh, content with it. That's true. Um, but I imagine like an absurd car would have to be funded by the fans. And I don't think it's, fair of me to ask that of you guys when it's not necessary for the the channel like when brian's echo got totaled and there was that genuine concern that rcr wouldn't be able to continue because we couldn't afford another camera car you guys came through for us in a huge way and uh we were able to continue brian got the fit but like if i can't get another car um the, the channel will be fine because i'll still be able to like you know borrow my girlfriend's car, borrow my mom's car. I'll still be able to get to shoots. I'll still be able to get to writing. It's just going to suck. But I mean, I can't, I don't feel like I can ask that of people in good conscience. Um, and also a more absurd car, in my opinion, is going to potentially have more things go wrong with it. So that then I'm putting more money into it which means I have to make more content with it to then make the money back that I spent in getting it in the first place and maintaining it, which is not always a one-to-one -one proposition, unfortunately. Uh, but I understand where you're coming from. And it is a luxury for the YouTuber. I mean, I see it every single day or I feel it every single day, you know? Um, 
now I'm looking at these car builds from on a hot rod magazine and it's like all of these things are deeply absurd in the way that okay so this one it's on the one hand it's a 1972 Dodge Challenger with a stock and non-running 440 and 727 torque flight combination that was swapped for a modern Gen 3 Hemi Hellcrate engine and Tremex TKX five-speed manual, which sounds like really dope and it looks cool, but I'm just, I, I, in a way I kind of hate this part about myself, which is that I look, I start poking holes in the practicality of everything, which of course you can absolutely like sling back right at me, which is that what, how was, a uh, an SN95 Mustang practical in any way for me. But, um, you know, I guess I was living alone and I wasn't really like, I was very self-obsessed. So I was the only person I was thinking about. And now obviously I don't want to be like that. I want to take other people into account and into consideration, which means not being selfish about everything. So it's... But even then, I'm like, why would you need this much power for a 70s Dodge Charger that, let's be honest, you're going to keep in the garage, you're only going to bring it out for car shows, you're only going to ever, um, you're only ever going to keep this under a car cover, if we're being honest. But yeah, it just, it just seems so impractical, but I understand that this isn't for practicality's sake. This is for being a show car. This is for, um, being a project. It's for display for occasional enjoyment. It's not going to be a daily. And so that's what I kind of find fascinating about these different cars here. You can see it in the magazine. It's, it's pretty in its own way it's an alluring car but i just don't i look at project cars like this and i don't always understand necessarily the rationale behind them other than the fact that people this is something people enjoy doing they like the process and the nuts and bolts of restoring a car and modding it and swapping and all these other things that are unique to people who have the means to do so uh, but yeah one thing with these YouTubers with their absurd cars is that they have other things they can drive if needed. If it's an only car, absurd and unreliable are bad traits. And yeah, that's kind of my problem. Like, I'm not, I don't have the luxury of a backup car. I mean, I have cars that I can borrow from people, but it's a thing where, like, I, I don't know. Like, it's just, I just have one car. So I, I, I can't go too crazy with anything. And that's also why, like, despite all the suggestions of a Miata and as attractive as a Miata might be, um, I can't justify it in my area as a daily driver. I just see the suspension getting wrecked from the roads around here and just causing more problems than I can actually handle right now. Um, would you buying a ridiculous car to make content be a business expense and therefore all the costs could be written off? Um, I think part of it could, um, or at the very least, the mileage subsequent to my driving it. Um, I would have to talk to my accountant about that. But um, I mean, because right now for Betty, I only write off the miles. Um, and that's something where, you know, because I think how it goes is that um, 
of course, it's been a while, so I might not, not be speaking correctly. So don't take my word as gospel. But I think you can either write off the miles or repair costs, but you can't write off both. So yeah, <laughs> buy two beater eagles. One's a backup. <laughs> Back. Sorry, Nick. The F-150 I was hawking isn't available. Ant made a deal with someone more local. Sorry, man. I'll keep an eye out for something down here in South Jersey. Dude, don't worry about it. You, you're totally okay. Um, and, you know, I have family in South Jersey, so if something is found over there, I mean, I could turn it into a family visit <laughs> if I want to. Um, so, yeah. Roman, your honesty and humility are refreshing. Keep it up. Enjoy your one-on-one -on -one podcast. Well, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate that. And I hope, I really hope that Monday's video um, that I'm putting out, uh, is it this Monday or is it the following Monday? nuts i don't actually know um but i hope that people um are understanding that's my biggest hope um because it is it's a review kind of but it's also oh all right good then it is the equinox then all right so it's the following week then um the review is very um, personal, very personal. I mean, I've done a lot of RCR diaries that weren't this personal. Uh, and I'm trying to think, yeah, the colonoscopy video was personal, but not that personal. Uh, the video on the death of my grandma was personal, but, and that's probably the most personal I've been up to this point. But this, I'm going a little bit deeper to kind of explore why it is I made some of the automotive choices that I made uh, and the decisions that I've made and hoping that once you see the video that like, even if you don't, even if people don't like me as much that maybe they understand me better. Um, because I think it's always been kind of hard, you know, um, to feel like you're seen, I suppose. And it's something that a lot of people go through and I'm completely not unique to this at all. Um, but it's, it's, it's something that I'm trying to overcome my own lack of confidence in myself, my own um, it's, yeah, it's just very much, well, yeah, gonzo journalism is kind of a good phrase for it. And, but I am sort of spelunking into my own, uh, emotional caverns, you know, cause I do, I am like, basically this is all started as a result of the fact that like my, well, a, because I'm essentially getting rid of Betty, but also my therapist has been out of town for the past two weeks and I don't have anyone to talk to. So I'm like, I'm going to make a video that's therapy and I'm essentially exercising demons by, sorry for thrusting my crotch in your face. Um, by exercising demons through sharing, because I feel like a lot of the things that I'm afraid of are things that if I were to just share them with our audience and have that out there, that people would understand me better. Um, it, it's nothing like serious or heavy. It's just like my old life and how I sort of came to 
this point in my life that I, I love my life. I do. Um, but it's also a thing where like, sometimes I'm not always able to appreciate it because I'm too wrapped up in my own neuroses and I want to be able to break that cycle. But also like all of these things end up tying into why I'm into the cars I'm into. And so, um, I really hope that you guys will, uh, watch and share that video and enjoy it. Um, even though it is 35 minutes long and it is, um, a combination between a car review, a diary entry, a point of view video, and all these other things in between. Uh, it's, it's got comedy, it's got emotions and things. And so like, I just, I really hope that it does well. I don't expect it to, but I just hope it does. But one thing that I do, well, I shouldn't say I expect this next one to do well, but that I am hoping does well uh, in a few weeks is a new RCR stories um that i have to start editing because i've been too busy with the video that's coming out soon to uh, but the editing really shouldn't ideally it shouldn't take that long um and uh, you guys who've watched the podcast before know what it's about and i'll just reiterate again uh be, for you audience that is here just because you're here um that it's about press and tucker now obviously um my the videos of mine that tend to do the best are the life and death videos and so it this was initially going to be just about press and tucker but then it ended up ballooning not because i wanted to target like a video that would fit the life and death moniker but because um the story itself ended up being about more than press and tucker and it ended up being about the different ways in which um, the auto industry was changing in the post-war era and also the ways in which the auto industry in the United States was taking hold and becoming this thing that people could participate in at a much larger level because the economy was correcting and cars were becoming a more accepted means of transportation and they were being integrated into many people's jobs. And it's just all these other things that are ancillary to Preston Tucker's story while still maintaining that it is very much Preston Tucker's story because it's very cinematic in that way. Like the things that happen to him, the things that he does in his life and the ways in which he pivots to make the auto industry sort of nervous, you know, cause he is a guy who wanted to change a lot. And the fact that a lot of the changes he was looking to implement ended up being implemented by people who weren't him just sort of proves that he was on to something. But I also want to explore like who Preston Tucker is. And even when people are saying like, he's a genius and a revolutionary, like, Let's explore that. Let's see to what extent he's like a genius, what, to what extent he was lucky, to what extent he was inventing trends, to what extent he was riding them. Um, that people have called him a con man before, so we're going to explore that, see if he was really uh, a fraud or if he really was like the incredible visionary that he's credited with being. And so, yeah, this is going to be like the first RCR story that stays almost entirely in the past. Like we don't get past, we don't even get into the 1960s. This is just 
I mean, I guess all the RCR stories stay in the past, but you know what I mean? Like we don't get to sort of what we would call contemporary car culture. Although how do you even, you know, consider contemporary car culture? It's sort of a made up, you, you pick an arbitrary date and then say, all right, that's the era. Um, so let's see, uh, gonna look at some other comments that you guys have left so far. What about something like an eclipse? Uh, my girlfriend would love that. Uh, she loves eclipses. And so, yeah, that would be, that would be dope if I could find one that's reasonable. Um, hi Kia, Miata is a dream car of mine, but I live in South Dakota where having a Miata is also insanely impractical. It sucks. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. That That's rough. The idea that like, there's a stream car and like, it's not even as if it's necessarily the most unattainable dream car a person can have, but it's just impractical in a way that doesn't serve the needs of that person's life. And I completely understand that. It just sucks to have to be in that, um, in that space. Um, Vice Grip Garage is a good example of someone who just relentlessly wrenches on anything to build anything. Uh, Vice Grip Garage. I think I have watched their videos before. The name rings a bell. I mean, I usually don't watch car build series, but, well, other than Mighty Car Mods, I would watch them uh, usually. And um, yeah, it's it's one of those things where like, I think it's kind of too far beyond my my capabilities to interest me because like a lot of the things that I want to watch are things that I want to be able to do. But by the same token... Like, how are you going to learn to do those things if you don't watch people doing them? So I'm kind of like screwing myself over there. Uh, but yeah. Let's see what else. If the transmission is in, if the transmission is in good shape, 2500 for the 06 Taurus sounds like a good candidate. I mean, hmm. again, I'm trying to keep my mind open to all options. Um, Although I'm not necessarily like big into potentially like moving to like another American car necessarily, but I don't want to limit myself in that way. Like that's a stupid thing to do to limit yourself, you know? So I, I, I should take any and all suggestions people are willing to give me. And so that's what I'm going to do. And thank you for that suggestion. Um, Vice grip is the guy to dig some almost dead car from some trees and just barely get it running. Wow. It's like sorcery to me. Uh, the pod, the pods like spikes, smoking tire, donut racing, etc. They're so out of the everyman day loop of car that makes realize these guys don't makes me realize these guys don't turn wrenches. Notice influencers becoming a brand ambassador. Um, I mean, I think it's not so much that there's like a disconnection from the everyman so much as it is that, um, I guess like having a bit more means makes you more adventurous so that then you take on more ambitious or elaborate projects and then you sort of flip things and maybe that doesn't align with the values of what someone would need a car for in practical terms because the car its practical function is not the part that appeals to you because it's not the part that's important to you whereas like for me um 
it's it's like super important to me like the practicality of it of course i don't want to speak for any of those youtubers or any of those podcasters or any of those automotive journalists i'm just sort of explaining from my own perspective that I, it feels like sometimes a car's practicality and sensibility are the most important things and sometimes it's about other things it's about you know speed power aesthetic uh uh resellability or resale whatever um the ability to flip it and restore it or mod it or just make a project car that will fulfill you and give you something to do that is satisfying to you uh those are all valid things too like i don't begin to judge anybody who sort of goes in that direction that said i do feel like um like i i'm kind of in this space where i don't think i would want to like wrench on something because i know my limitations like i'm not somebody who does his own repairs it would behoove me if i did because then i would save a bunch of money but also it's all these other like little things that relate to my own lack of literacy in mechanical things and i just i'm i'm not good at wrenching <laughs> and so it's about recognizing my limitations and not making things harder for myself i guess um what if any uh brands are completely off the table um i don't want to anything necessarily to be off the table but i think like there are some that are um i don't think i would want a chevy product like part of me is kind of like i don't think i would want a gm product at all but uh, i don't know i'm so much in a headspace of not wanting to limit myself that i am willing to hear every suggestion and I don't even have something in mind of what I necessarily want. I mean, all things being equal, I would love to have a RAV4. I would love to drive a RAV4. Love it. But the odds of me even getting like a decent used one, I feel, are pretty low for my budget. So I'm not trying to necessarily um, get my hopes up in that regard. Uh so i can say maybe the things that i would include but not so much the things that i would exclude because i don't really want to exclude anything so yeah uh gm 3800 series 3 cars are cheap and reliable rav4 is a better option though um i'll have to look into some of those cars uh i really have just i need to do more research and not just immediately get dejected anytime i go to look at cars and suddenly see nothing that is doable for me so um higher end cars get more views watch jargo has said this multiple times i like the old commuter car video myself um that is absolutely true um doug has said it too um although strangely enough that's not true for us like higher end cars sure but it's the beaters like the real beaters that do numbers for us like for whatever reason it is what it is um and i guess that's kind of it's because people notice that or expect that of us you know um let me see uh have you read all corvettes are red hmm 
I did not. I noticed you made some references to it in your Corvette essay. Did I? I'm pretty sure. Oh. Did I say all Corvettes were red? See, that's a thing of like, whenever I make an RCR story, um, in order to make the next one, I end up like switching modes and then I retain none of the information of the things that I wrote about. So it's funny in that like, Joe Ligo is making an AMC documentary. He's from the YouTube channel Auto Moments. It is an incredible channel and a great documentary um, that he's working on in many different parts. And um, he had asked me to be a part of it. And I'm like, I genuinely don't remember half the things because I was in such a, I attack RCR stories the way a college student attacks a paper, which is that I am about this and nothing else for however many months it takes for the project to be done. And then once I'm done with the project, I am done with that project because I, there's almost like this exhaustion that comes to mind if, of even thinking about it to where like, I just don't want to think about it doesn't mean I don't love what I was talking about. It's just that I've exhausted myself mentally so much that I, I just, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I, I just can't do it. And so there are a lot of things that I've written about that I genuinely don't remember writing about. Uh, the Corvette series was done in so many different parts. Well, it was done in three parts, but um, it consumed like six to eight months of my life. And then you would think I would retain more of that information, but I really didn't. It's kind of embarrassing, but ugh. I should probably just go back and watch those videos to kind of refresh my memory. But, um, but yeah, it's a question of how used and how far along you're willing to search or wait. Uh, that's always a true story. I mean, I, I would say between three and six months, um, depending on if Betty passes inspection, um, but the more I hear from you guys, the more I'm hearing that like high mileage doesn't necessarily matter um, that much, or at least that its importance is over-exaggerated. Uh, it's weird. Like I, I kind of have avoided actually talking about what I titled this podcast <laughs> because I'm looking at all of these different project cards and these magazines and I'm getting jealous. <laughs> so... Uh, Let's see, uh, Motor Trend, Motor Trend, and that is an ad for uh, tobacco. <laughs> I didn't even know they could still do that. 2023 Toyota Sequoia. See, these are the kind of cars that, like, money being no object, I would feel better getting this than, say, some outlandish sport car that I would never push you know, um, because I mean, like, look at all the room in this thing, like in all the kind of, uh, wait, am I doing, uh, everything's flipped. Oh, there we go. And it's like, I, I just like the size. I like the ride height. I'm just a sucker for the dumbest things. <laughs> and you would think that at some point my tastes would become more sophisticated, but they really haven't. Um, All right, 2023 Buyer's Guide. Let's look at this thing. It's from Motor Trend. 
the the Hummer EV SUV. The 2024 Hummer EV SUV is expected to eventually outsell the truck version because it's the body style most people associate with the brand. Like the pickup, the SUV begins its latest run as a special edition one model. It'll, I don't, why am I doing this voice? I have no idea why I'm doing this voice. Uh, um, it seats five and offers the ability to emulate a convertible by removing roof panels and glass. Cargo space is more than 81 cubic feet in back with the second row folded down and about 36 with the seats up. One pedal driving for energy regen is standard. The SUV is smaller than the truck, obviously, um, so there's less room for the battery pack. But top trims with three motors, two on the rear axle, the third up front, can run an estimated 300 miles which is also 50 less than the pickup. <laughs> the future two-motor EV2 with four fewer battery pack modules has a range of 250 miles. So, like, basically, I'm not being sold on this at all. Not that this was ever in the conversation. Uh, but still, Honda Accord. After introducing the all-around excellent 10th generation Accord in 2018, Honda delivers a fully redesigned Accord for 2023. Uh, anticipate carryover powertrains for gas models, but with a breathed-upon 1.5-liter turbo 4 featuring a wider power band and less engine noise. The 2-liter turbo 4 should share improvements Honda made to the Civic Type R's engine. A redesigned Accord Hybrid will almost certainly implement the dual-motor hybrid system Honda also uses in the 2023 CRV Hybrid, which is slightly less powerful but torquier than the outgoing model, as I continue to lose viewers while reading out loud. No, I don't actually know that. I'm just assuming. Um, but yeah. Roger Smith and his underlings were convinced front-wheel drive is the future. Well, I mean, like... Oh, it's in response to a question from Matto about why did the GM kill the G body and replace it with the W body? I mean, Roger Smith is one of those figures who everybody kind of hates or at least speaks about in um, unflattering terms. And it's generally from the same standpoint of how he made a call and the call was somewhat related to how like oh front wheel drives the future um but it's also to the point that you know we're going to uh break away necessarily from the more adventurous things that we theoretically could be doing like a i don't know like a rear engine corvette or this that or the other thing or rotary engines whatever it's just very um it's very kind of just bog standard executive decision making where if he ended up being right he would have looked like a genius but he wasn't so he ends up looking like a kind of foolish figure well the foolish is probably too harsh but i don't even necessarily know on the scale of decisions throughout automotive history whether necessarily keeping everything the same at gm or changing everything at gm was going to be the way to go uh because gm is going to gm regardless um noodles extra msg thank you for two dollars i really appreciate it i really do somebody turned this into 200 <laughs> second gen santa fe v6 um i was actually on the way to uh brian's i was behind a santa fe a lot of the way and um there were many times where i really wanted to pass this car but i it was one lane couldn't really do it and then i'm trying to think of like when i'm feeling impatient i try to think of um 
why or what lesson I can learn from the impatience that I'm feeling. And I'm wondering like what I'm trying to be shown by being stuck behind a Hyundai Santa Fe for, you know, 20 miles or whatever. Um, because the car just kept being in front of me, even after we got out of the one lane. Uh, and maybe it was just to say, Hey, you know, um, maybe you should be considering this because it did look nice. I mean, it was a more, it was a newer model. Um, but I can't say that it was something I had been considering necessarily, but to see it, it felt kind of, or seemed kind of appropriate to the type of car that would appeal to me. Um, yeah, it's like coming to the realization that I might be an SUV guy and just not acknowledging it to myself. Um, Roger Smith was a finance guy who made horrible decisions at GM, not a car guy. Um, that is a very valuable distinction. Um, Although by the same token, it's like when you have car guys making all the decisions rather than finance guys, you end up with Preston Tucker. You really need like a, a like a middle ground type of guy, like a Lee Iacocca, like a Bob Eaton, like you know guys who understand the business side of it as much as they understand the car side of it. Um, but it's not always possible to get that perfect balance, you know. Um, what other magazines do I have? Car and Driver. They're also doing new cars of 2023. So, um, this is all kind of range superior. What is this an ad for? Meet Valentine 1, Generation 2. It's about range superiority. I told my engineers, we want the best radar-seeking engine this side of the military. In fact, we adapted a concept from military chirp radars used to find fainter targets farther away with higher precision. It's a saw dispersive delay line. For civilian users, V1 Gen 2 is a breakthrough on range. So, it's a range extender? The, the, mm. The only way to extend range is to detect even ever weaker signals. Think of LNA as a signal magnifier. LNA has another benefit. It acts as a one-way valve trapping LO output before it escapes V1 Gen 2's magnesium case. That's the key to stealth. V1 Gen 2 is practically undetectable. So much longer range at fewer false alarms, all new and patented circuitry, LNA technology on all bands, laser detection on all V1 Gen 2s, built-in Bluetooth smartphone connection, all new high contrast display, V1's legendary radar locator and bogey counter backed by popular demand. Like what, what is, what is just, ugh, ugh. like it's this, like I don't, like why? Uh, let's see. Why doesn't GM do a base model Suburban with four-cylinder V6 with vinyl bench seats? Bring back the work SUV. Hmm. That's not a bad idea, honestly. And GM could probably use the free ideas at this point. Although, I don't actually know what their profit margins are with their sort of... To what extent it actually... Because, you know, you see this with, like, other automakers, how they're sort of reducing their lines just to the stuff that's kind of profitable. But... 
I do wonder to what extent like they're shutting themselves out of other markets by getting rid of things that maybe weren't doing big numbers on the new car market, but could recirculate through word of mouth on the used car market and then become a brand that has grown over that grows over time into something that people actually want to buy when it comes out. You know, it's like the, it's like the equivalent of a cult classic movie, you know, your office space, your, now I can't think of cult classics uh, at the time, but. Uh, I miss the silly SS versions of all their stuff in the 2000s. I mean, the 2000s was kind of like a wild West time that people don't really talk about enough because we're super focused on everything going towards a more curvy, safe, uninspired kind of design philosophy. And what was really happening is underneath all of that, we would get weird trim models of standard things that maybe weren't as accessible to the average driver as everyone else. But um, that's how you end up with like the funky ss models with the you know all these different like features that people wouldn't necessarily think to ask for but would be presumably glad to have uh everything is just valentine one is a radar detector sorry i cut myself off there but uh good just good to have that confirmed because apparently i can't confirm things by reading them uh in the magazines themselves uh malibu max ss (laughs) nice um Rise Against, $5. Thank you so much. So much. Okay, you need a 2000 GMC Sonoma. Slick 8 owner. Starts from the seat. 7K, I know what I got. Um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny because I can't even dismiss that type of thing out of hand. Like, I would, I would like to think I wouldn't become that guy in a bigger car, but I feel like everybody's personality is susceptible to change over time and that, you know, uh, while I don't think I would become a dick, I do think I would become one of those like truck guys who suddenly sort of views everything through the prism of having a very large car. And, um, I don't know. Uh, GMC Sonoma. I mean, it's really, among pickup trucks, it's, it seems like a decent size for someone like me who doesn't necessarily want something that's huge, but doesn't want something that's like diminutive either. Uh, Yeah, curvy and safe, except for trucks, which are becoming giant brick wall grills. (laughs) You're not wrong, honestly. Um, there, everything looks like it's straight out of Minecraft from just the dimensions and the blockiness and boxiness of it all. Uh, but that kind of seems like what sells, you know? Um, let's see. Uh, South Jersey Craigslist shows a 2001 Honda CRV with 229,000 miles for $2,287. Um, I mean, that's definitely something to look into. I, for some reason, I completely forgot about Craigslist as a possible avenue for 
cards. Like, I still don't know how I'm going to sell Betty because I don't think it would be hard to put her on cards and bids or because I, it's just hard to imagine she would be accepted and not sort of just laughed out of the, off the website. Um, and Facebook marketplace, you got to weed through all sorts of like catfish offers and all these other things, but um, I don't know. GMC Sonomas are truck enough to be trucks, but not so trucky that you instantly become a hazard to toddlers. <laughs> People want to feel big, I guess. It's true. I mean, I'm one of them. Uh, or maybe not feel big, but have height, <laughs> size. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm compensating. I, who, who can even say? Um, these new trucks are best described as actively hostile towards cyclists and pedestrians. Yeah, didn't they remove like those kind of... Um, pedestrian friendly features where like if you hit a pedestrian they would technically roll off the vehicle rather than being like pulled down to underneath uh hmm or am i just imagining that i mean it's completely it's completely possible um oh look there's an ad for walking sticks walk the walk and get a cane be like a pimp. Uh, but yeah, let's see. Uh, and now, or right next to it is an article that talks about making EVs weirder. Eat the hardware. Hmm. Yeah. These are all. I feel like car magazines, in order to continue to appeal to people in a way that justifies their existence, have to only cover high-end cars because, I mean, I don't think I've seen anything reasonable yet in this issue of car and driver, so I'm kind of, I don't know, it's weird. Um, oh, there we go, Corolla. I love what you do for me, Toyota GR Corolla. Oh, I hope we get a GR Corolla. I would love to be able to drive that thing. Yeah, it just seems... Oh, it's only 44 grand. That's cheaper than I thought it would be. So I just figure you put GR on anything and suddenly the price shoots up significantly. New car dealers just clocked their best year ever and yet their future has never looked shakier. Huh. Thanks to a welter of protective regulations born of roughly a century of spirited state house lobbying, cutting out the dealer middleman is legally tricky. Rules about OEM direct selling vary by state and fall into roughly five categories. One, direct sales are permitted if there's no competition with a franchise dealership of the same brand, either in the state or within a certain geographic area. Two, direct sales are permitted upon showing that no independent dealer is available. And since OEMs decide the qualifications, it's not too hard to determine that nobody meets them. Three, direct sales are permitted, but only for manufacturers of zero emission vehicles. Four, no direct sales are permitted except for Tesla. Five, no direct sales are permitted. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. 
Many dealers fear that manufacturers whose business model historically wants them operating factories at maximum potential will eventually solve their supply chain issues. And when they do, the industry's overcapacity will flood the market anew with vehicles, leading once again to excess inventory and a return to the endemic discounting car makers have been trying to avoid with little success for the longest time before the pandemic. One respected industry source who preferred not to be named explained the situation this way. Car factories want at least 80% capacity utilization because fixed costs are huge, and the OEM suppliers have the same goal. One cannot just turn the supply chain off and on. So far, so for lowest supply cost, we want to crank out one car per minute all year long, but demand follows no such rules. Maybe it's January and no one wants to shop for cars. Demand falls. Maybe it's April and everyone has their income tax refunds and wants to buy cars. Demand soars. Maybe GM has launched the Aztec and no one wants it. Maybe Ford has launched the Bron <coughs> Bronco and everyone wants it. Demand whiplashes around while supply runs steady. Thus, inventory builds up and draws down. Car companies find it incredibly expensive to hold all of this inventory, so they unload it onto dealers. This reduces car company costs. This is all from the article Sympathy for the Dealer by Jamie Kitman uh, for Car and Driver. And it's a long article, so check it out uh, if it's online. <laughs> yeah, let's see what y'all been saying. Because I'm probably going to wrap this up in like the next five minutes, just so I can get myself some food. <laughs> uh, like I have some stuff in the fridge that I got to prepare, but it's fine. Uh, save the manual transmission. Teach a kid to drive stick. Um, that's actually what uh, our volunteer today did with her kid. Um, I find it hard to have sympathy for car dealerships. Fair, you know? <laughs> uh, we're finally at a point where we don't need massive hoods thanks to small and powerful engines or EVs. But nope, we need McMansions with truck nuts. <laughs> I, I still can't believe truck nuts are a thing. That just seems like the most ridiculous possible thing other than the locally hated decal makes no sense to me are used minivans off the table sienna is the answer that no one wants to be correct hey nothing's off the table i will i it's i mean it would fit for my purposes as someone who has a large family who has loved ones that he takes places now, granted, I don't usually take them all in one, like, big run, but it's nice to have the option. Um, I swear, the biggest complaint for new cars is how short the lives of the internals are. Having an infotainment system go out and take everything with it makes it not worth it. That is an absolutely valid complaint. Uh, you're kind of putting all your eggs in the infotainment basket, and then running into all of these electrical issues that then it's, it's not like that's something you can necessarily fix yourself. Um, if it goes wrong, whereas, you know, in other years you can kind of, I don't know to what extent you can really wrench on those types of components and solve the issues that you're running into. Um, would you consider a Pontiac Vibe? Is a Toyota without the Toyota price tag? Uh, yes, I would. Um, my mom had a Pontiac Vibe before. Uh, it was great. Um, my 
another loved one in my family has a Pontiac vibe and his is over 400,000 miles. And so it's proven that it can be a reliable car and enjoyable, you know, uh, why not a Prius? The MPG makes it very appealing. And I hear it's quite roomy inside. They are. And the MPG is good. Um, yeah, I have no reason not to look into a Prius. Those that is a very good idea and something that I'm going to keep an eye out for specifically um because I'm very much like I don't have any prejudice towards Priuses even though they have like this reputation for being like these bougie, not bougie, but like you know this like person who thinks they're better than everyone else type of car. Um but yeah, like a Vibe or a Prius, like those are totally like options that I would keep an eye out for personally. Um. <laughs> the truck nuts are apparently a gross trend that has somehow been imported to Australia. We get it. You bust like all the damn time. But just because you have testicles doesn't mean your truck needs them too. Uh, good point. <laughs> that is a very good point. Um, my company car is having an infotainment issue as we speak. Sadly, it's a Ford, so the last part I need will take two months to get. Ooh. I'm sorry to hear about that. That's a struggle. I've been looking at getting a Prius and getting a dumb Duraflex body kit for it. Hey, you only get one life, so <laughs> that we know of. So live it to the fullest. Uh, that infotainment trend is something I hope dies a quick death. Give me my 2005 Chevy Dash any day. There you go. It's kind of like I like buttons. I like having things that like knobs and dials to turn. And I don't even really care about steering wheel controls. I just want things to be in a way that's accessible and that's easy to access. I mean, I think I, 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 I don't know. Like it's something where I think to infotainment systems and think like there's not a way for me to just know what i'm pushing without having to look at it whereas if it's a button like i can kind of do the math of like okay this is here and i know that it's like three buttons down and boom um or three buttons across so yeah it's just i like buttons <laughs> Um, it took me forever to actually get on the smartphone ba bandwagon and now i couldn't imagine going back but still I guess when it comes to cars, I just like having knobs and dials and buttons and all this stuff. Um, yeah, it's just kind of how I go. Truck labia, that's a good idea. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> oh. Have you considered a 1.8 liter Golf? Plenty good to drive, great torque down low, and doesn't carry the premium of the GTI. Um, that would not be a bad idea. And there are a lot of PA dubbers around here. So I would be in good company with other Volkswagen drivers. Uh, but yeah. Oh, Brian Siskind. Hey, thanks for joining. Uh, tactile experience has become only for nostalgia, which makes little functional sense. And that's a good point too. It's like you're paying all this extra money to have these extra implements. And for what? For people like me who don't want to get on board with the touch screen, everything, you know? Uh, and market research shows that people will adapt when they have to, that once they do, you know, they probably couldn't envision going back or wouldn't want to if given the option. So, yeah. Funny thing about Prius cars, very few bike racks fit them. Most people that ask 
don't want to pay $240 to carry bikes on their Prius. Um, I mean, I, I get the whole bike rack thing, but because I was never a cyclist myself, I was always thinking like, well, why don't you just ride your bike to wherever you're taking your bike? Not realizing that maybe people don't necessarily live around the bike trails that they would want to use. But even then I'm, I'm kind of like, well, it's just more exercise, man. But I mean, after a bike trail, do you really want to have to bike home? Yeah. Uh, I like finding people use cars. Can I email you good leads? Uh, sure. Just email um, regularcarstheroman at gmail.com. All one word. Uh, speaking of VW, I've personally been considering myself or been considering a Volkswagen new Beetle myself. There's a lot in my area and all of them are relatively affordable on Marketplace. Well, if that's the car for you, then go for it. Um, I don't have anything against Beetles either. Like you would think at some point that with all the cars we've made fun of over the years that I would actually have, um, like prejudices against certain cars. And I really don't, um, because for me, the jokes that we make are in good fun and there are very few cars that I actually dislike. Um, so I'm just kind of in a place where that's why all the driving impressions in the script are all Brian, because, um, I don't know my, my, I'm very easy to make happy and to just get excited, you know, so, which is not useful in terms of describing how a car drives, but it is useful in making jokes about the car and talking about history about the car. So, you know, it's easy to make the jokes, but I don't know. They come from a good place. I would hope. Um, let's see. They should have minimalist base versions for new cars for grumps like us. <laughs> That's not a bad idea, honestly. And I don't imagine that the cost would be too high to be able to do that. Um, see, having to look down and go through three menus to adjust my heater instead of reaching down and grasping for the three knobs makes it a bit more annoying. See, like, that's where I was of just, like, I don't want to have to, like do all this searching to just like change settings and do all this other stuff. I just like having, you know, tactile features there, but I get why they're gone for the most part. Um, most Prius drivers here are very eco-conscious yet also a bit cheap about everything. And lots of cyclists, you cyclists here have Prius cars. Uh, <laughs> um, that actually, I mean, it does make sense. Like Prius is pre I, Priuses uh, are the type of car that I think would um, play into the cliche of sort of the San Francisco bike trail enthusiast. But by the same token, it's like, I don't know that it's that practical just because you're just paying more money for a bike rack. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of talking in circles here. <laughs> you should channel your inner Tommy Fenstermacher and buy an Avalon. Uh it's it's <laughs> oh tommy fensenmacher he needs to come back for something or or rather discussion about tommy fensenmacher needs to come back uh alternatively a tesla driver bribed me to install a tesla branded yakima rack on his car on a sunday night for 200 bucks <laughs> oh geez people are very much about their business in that way Papillon Cycles says he couldn't believe I needed a wrench to fasten it on 
and that it didn't snap in. Oh, so we're getting to that point where people think like things are kind of like Legos and don't actually need to be cranked in there. Well, that is that is unfortunate, but we do not live, unfortunately, in a snap and connect society, even if certain technological advancements have convinced us that we do. <laughs> but yeah. All right. So um, I think I'm going to call it a podcast there. Uh, I've been going for about an hour and 20 minutes, uh, but I want to thank you all for coming out here. I thank you so much for the donations to the super chat, to the watching our videos every Monday, to sharing, to liking, to subscribing, supporting us on Patreon, allowing us to exist as a much larger channel than we do exist as. And allowing us to fund potentially RCR Australia in 2024. And uh, just thank you for being you and for being here and uh, hope to do one of these again. Um, not sure when that'll be. And I'm sure Brian will eventually stream with you guys too. And at some point in the future, we'll do it together, but I don't know when that'll be. And so I don't want to write checks that I can't um, <laughs> cash. Uh, but yes, Thank you so much for being here and everybody have a great night and I'll see you when I see you.